Life Management Science Labs would like to acknowledge that we live and produce this podcast on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people. We'd also like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands of our listeners and our international colleagues. We'd like to pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging. Hey everyone and welcome to All Together, the Family Science Insights Podcast, produced by LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. We are champions of life management science, providing structured insights informed by science and inspired by practice on key aspects of conscious living. Each week we bring you scientific and practical insights on each element, with the expert knowledge of professionals in the field. I'm your host, Dina Sargent. Let's get started. Hey guys, and welcome back to another episode. Now, with remarriage comes a number of challenges, and here to help us navigate these challenges and find ways to avoid certain obstacles before they come around is Ron Deal. Thank you so much for joining me on the show today, Ron. Dina, it is a privilege and an honor for me to be here. Thanks for having me. Now, as a licensed therapist, what is your role in helping families go through the process of remarriage? Well, I've been working with uh, teenagers and families for about 35 years now. And so my role has changed throughout the time. At this season of my life, I am trying to equip and train as many professionals as I possibly can. And at the same time, also equip couples, single parents who are dating and thinking about remarriage, but also couples that have gotten married and have formed a a step family, a blended family. And so I work in those two spaces a lot these days. Love working with individuals and couples and love working with leaders, helpers, professionals, counselors, as well as family educators, people who are on the front lines trying to to help families. Mm -hmm. And during that process, what has been some of the common frustrations families do claim when trying to look into remarriage? Mm. Well, uh, first of all, let me just back up a little bit and talk about the word remarriage, because I think for different people who are listening or, or watching this podcast, you may connect with a little different word. Throughout the world, step family is one term that people will use for themselves. In Spanish-speaking populations, it's reconstituted family, because they don't really have a word for step family in Spanish, so that's how they language it there. In many Western countries, the term blended family has taken on the meaning of referring to a family where there's a step relationship within that household. Sometimes people say we're a remarried family or I'm remarried, but not all partners are remarried. So that doesn't always fit for every couple. It could be that this is a first time marriage for the man and a remarriage for his wife. And so people identify with different terms. We're really talking about the same thing here. We're talking about a family in which there is at least one step relationship between step siblings or between a step parent and Uh, a stepchild. In other words, the child preceded the new couple's relationship. And that really is getting to the heart of the question you've asked. Some of the things that people find themselves struggling with is how do you order relationships when at least one child came before the couple did? In other words, uh, the, the couple is often the authority system in the home. They're they lead from a position of unity with one another. But what if, let's just say dad brought a child or two or five or seven, or like one couple I worked with, they had 19 kids when they got married. Wow. <laughs> 19 kids on the day they walked down the aisle. Like, so you bring that child and that history and that relationship and that dedication and your commitment to your child. And you also bring your history and your past. 
and mm -hmm. the difficult things that you have lived through with that child. So dad and his child, or let's just say three kids, have been through hard together. Maybe they lost mom to, to cancer. Maybe mom's out of the picture because mom and dad divorced and there's no longer that intact family system. So dad was a single parent for a few years and now he's met somebody, fallen in love, wants to get married and put their family together. She may bring her own children, she may not. There's all kinds of different configurations, but you can begin to see right from the start, his commitment to his children is a lot longer. <laughs> it has more depth, it has more, uh, it, for some people, it has more commitment than his new relationship with his wife. Well, how, how, does, how do they lead as a family, as a couple, I should say, how do they lead the children if the kids came first? And this mom, she's about to become a stepmom to his kids. How does she have a place of leadership, of authority, of being an influence in their life if they look at her as if she's not even part of their family, if they look at her as an outsider rather than somebody to respect and honor and, and obey? Those are really significant questions that step families find themselves all tied up in knots around. And those are really just the beginning of the questions. I, I mean, I could go on and on. I'll just point to two other things real quickly, and then we can begin to flesh out more if you'd like. But there's the grief from the past that is tracking with them into the present. They have to be mindful of that. And maybe there's a former spouse. So let's say the, the dad in our scenario divorced his wife. Well, the kids are still moving between dad's house and mom's house. Well, how well do dad and mom get along? We call them co-parents. Um, they're still trying to raise those children. They don't live together anymore. They don't love each other anymore, but they're trying to still be parents together. Mm -hmm. Those are difficult, challenging relationships. And all of those dynamics ultimately can create stress and challenge the new couple's relationship. And when the couple's relationship is challenged, you're really challenging the nature of the family itself. Mm -hmm. So we help people try to make sense of all of that stuff. And then, you know, take it on a little bit at a time. Mm -hmm. Well, now that's such a great introduction and little definition as to what remarriage is. Thank you so much for doing that. Um, before we dive even deeper into the topic, I'd love to get to know some of your recommendations as well as some of your interests to share with our audience today. Now, the first question is, what is the most recent book that you've read? Well, uh, for me, the Bible is a really good book that I cannot read enough, and that's really helpful to me. I will uh, also mention um, I'm writing another book, and so that's the book I tend to be reading all the time because I'm trying to uh, we're trying to get it ready to go to, to to be published. And it's a book on emotional regulation and how we manage that, and how we grow up and mature as people. Well, that's such a great book. I actually can't wait to read that. That's one of my interests at the moment. One of my little um, little bookshelf is full of different little books about emotional regulation. So no, that's going to definitely be a really good one for me to look into. Um, what is a book, what is a movie, sorry, that you would recommend to our viewers? Well, you know, regarding the topic itself, first of all, I'll just say my wife and I are movie buffs. We love going to movies, watching Netflix, all kinds of things. We just enjoy that. Um, but for our conversation today, I would recommend the movie Boyhood. It came out, well, six, eight years ago now. But Boyhood was, first of all, they, they sort of, you know, uh, broke all the molds in that they filmed the movie over a 12-year period of time. 
12 year period of time. Here's what they did. They started with a young boy whose parents divorced. This is how the story opens. And he's five years old. He has an older sister. You know, there's a backstory. You watch the story with his parents and now the divorce and now they go back, how the child moves back and forth. And they filmed a certain part of the film and then they stopped and they waited two years till this young man was seven. And then when he's nine, and then when he's 12, and then they close the film when he is 18 years of age, graduating high school. So they don't age him with makeup. They literally filmed him growing up. Mm -hmm. And the film is about a boy whose parents divorce and then mom recouples, and he's now part of a blended family. And you see and feel the dynamics on his life of what's going on around him. It is a fascinating film to watch. And it really opens your eyes to some of the inner workings of step-family relationships and helps you see it through the eyes of the children. Well, that is actually an incredible movie. And I've never, it's amazing that I haven't actually seen it before because it's something that's so up my alley in terms of seeing how a person and seeing how individuals actually grow up. It's kind of like a real life Truman show, if that's yes. the case. Yeah, that is a, it's a little bit like that. Yeah, I think you would really enjoy it. Okay, I'm definitely going to, I've made a list of notes on that, so I'm definitely going to look into it. Now, to go into it further, could you name a podcast that has recently stood out to you? Hmm. Well, I thought about this question a little bit, and I do a podcast called Family Life Blended. And what stands out about it is not that it's my podcast, but I get to talk to fascinating people. I get to talk to people who are experts in certain dimensions of step family living. I get to talk to people just about their childhood and where they're just reflecting on what life was like for them growing up in a blended family. We have a little sub-series within our podcast that's all about growing up in a, in a blender, we call it. And we, we listen to now adults talk about their childhood and the things that they didn't understand then and the things they do understand now, the, the relationships they had with step parents that were perhaps stressed and, and difficult but now have grown through that into something that's really good and you know nurturing for both the step parent and the now adult child. I'm honored to be able to listen to those narratives. And I think what we try to do is we give people practical suggestions, but mostly we're trying to give people hope because that's something I really believe about step family living is that there's a lot of hope in it. You do have to understand it. You do have to make good choices and be wise about how you go about your family. But the payoff is really tremendous. Oh, that sounds like an amazing podcast. And I definitely look forward to looking into it even further. Um, now, who is a person that you find yourself looking up to, either in your professional life or in your personal life? Actually, there's a crossover there. There's a, a, a clinician, a professor, Dr. Terry Hargrave. He had different seasons of my life, has been my counselor. Um, and he is also a, an expert in emotional regulation and marriage. And um, I went to him a few years ago. The book that we're writing right now, my wife and I have teamed up with Dr. Hargrave and his wife to take his concepts that he has perfected over the last 30 years and create a book that most people can understand. I told him a few years ago, I said, you write over everybody's head. You write for academic people and it's the mass public that we need to get this material out to and we'd like to help you do that. So that's what we're trying to do. So Dr. Terry Hargrave, uh, the innovator of what's called restoration therapy is a, a big, big mentor of mine. Oh, well, that's, that's amazing how much you've teamed up and how well you sort of taken his concepts and brought it into a more 
general population, which is, I think, is so needed if it comes to something that's really relatable. Yeah, he's changed my life, and so I'm happy to try to help change others. Perfect. Now, during some of your pursuits, what's been one course that has really stuck to you to this day? You know, it's funny. Um, I did not grow up in a blended family, and I don't live in one now. And yet, I'm one of the most widely read and, and viewed authors on Step Family Living in the World. How did I get here? Because mm -hmm. of a course I had in graduate school called Non-Traditional Family Therapy. So in 1992, I believe it w was, I took this class and it was all about working with single parent families and step families. And the seeds of that course have grown inside me and have become uh, so much more. It set me down a path of wanting to understand and study more. And so I've done some postgraduate training and have just worked at this and worked at this to try to understand the inner workings of step family dynamics so that I can help other people. Mm -hmm. And that course really, I had no idea I would have such an interest in it, but it changed my life. Oh, that's amazing. I love I love that question because everyone's answers is very different. Each time I listen to it, it's always just like, there's always one course that has really, that has still somehow affected them to this day and still sort of inspired how they started and what they started to do. So I always love asking that question. I never want to leave that question mm -hmm. out because it's always very impactful. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Well, that class has been impactful on me for sure. Well, perfect. Now, we know that every person has a different definition as to what family is and what's important in a family, what sort of continues as a family. What would your definition of a family be? Well, you know, it's a, it's a good question. Um, it's hard to put it in words, I think, but at a macro level, you know, it's this intergenerational web of relationships that are formed by blood, by marriage, and by, in some cases, the choice to love somebody that you are not married to and don't have a blood relationship with, which is the case with step families. And, uh, you know, and so people often have varying definitions about who's in and who's out, but I do think most of us sort of intuitively know there's certain things that make for a good family environment. For example, uh, we know kids who are raised by two biological parents have a much better go at life. The outcome studies are very, very clear about that. Monogamous relationships that involve commitment and stability are really important to the overall family relationship that creates safety for the couple to grow as individuals, to love one another and to mature as people, but it certainly creates a, a loving structure for their children to grow, for their emotional stability or development, physical development, uh, mental development. All of those things seem to be tied to that long-term monogamous parental relationship. And we know that families that have a love and trustworthiness at their core, love is what teaches us who we are. Love is what teaches us our value and our worth and our identity it gives us a sense of our identity. And that's something we carry through life. Trustworthiness is something that teaches us that people are reliable, <laughs> that you can count on others and you can be somebody that they can count on. That sense of reliability and uh, taking seriousness, a role that you might play in any given relationship, that seems to come out of climate where you've seen people be people of their word they are faithful to their word. They're trustworthy. Uh, those those are the things that, that make a family go, and those are the things that bless the individuals within that family. Kindness, respect, 
a gentleness, a basic joy about life. Um, that's the stuff that matters. And I know that we've we've done a little definition as to what remarriage is a little bit earlier in the show, but how could a remarriage impact a family dynamic that currently exists? Yeah. Okay. So let me just back up and say this. A lot of people, if you ask them, do you think divorce, you know, a divorce of a family is hard on people? I think most people would say, yes, it is. It's hard on the couple. Nobody wants to get divorced. Nobody marries with a vision for getting divorced. It's never the plan. So something has gone wrong and they've lost hope and that's when things come apart. It's hard on them. It's hard on their children. It's hard on their extended family. We, we get that. You might call that a pretty big earthquake in somebody's life. There's rubble everywhere. They don't know what to think. There's a wall still standing, but how long? you begin to question everything because you're so impacted by that earthquake when you walk around on pins and needles uh, for some time. And it, it takes a while to find your stability again, to begin to rebuild your life, begin to, to move in new directions. It's an earthquake. Well, mo what most people don't understand is that a wedding that forms a blended family, a remarriage in some cases, or sometimes it's a first marriage, somebody just had children, now they're bringing those into this relationship. That is an earthquake too. But what's really bizarre, Dean, about that is that we think, well, no, that's happiness. People getting married, they're in love. And of course, there's that element. They wouldn't be getting married if they weren't in love or in like with one another. If they didn't think they could have a life together, they wouldn't do that. But of course, that's part of it. But along with the joy and the good, if you will, comes along some unexpected consequence, unexpected dynamics that can, even for adults and children, bring some more rubble. It's as big of a transition as divorce is. Remarriage and forming a blended family is as big of a transition as the death of a parent is. It's monumental. It's as big as having a child. I mean, anybody who's watching right now knows once you have your first child, your whole life changes. Your schedule changes, your food, your sleep habits change. Everything about your life is now oriented in some new way around this child. Like, it is massive. Well, so is forming a blended family. There's good and there's hard. And what people don't anticipate is the challenge, the hard. And so they wake up one day and they go, man, I love you, you love me. Why is this so difficult for us to figure out how to parent the kids? Why is this so difficult for us to navigate trust when uh, my first spouse left me and you know betrayed me and it was super hard and broke my heart and now i find it hard to trust you like that's a leftover residue from the past and learning how to trust now is as big as massive a challenge as was learning how to deal with the rebellion or the, the betrayal i should say of the previous spouse so it is both good and at times challenging what we do is help people understand the challenge, anticipate the challenge, and go, you know what? This doesn't have to destroy you. If you know how to navigate it, it'll be okay. If you don't know how to navigate it, you might find yourself at the bottom of the rubble again, and that's mm -hmm. really hard. Yeah. And in, certain, in terms of how children react to the certain situation, what are some of their questions or fears that pop up when finding out there's going to be an additional person in their family dynamic or in their current life. Yeah. So imagine a um, little boy and girl, brother and sister, their dad 
died of a terrible disease. <laughs> they have to say goodbye to their father. They have to grieve. Now, their mom and they will sort of pick up and move forward together, right? Extended family around them. They figure out how to take the next steps. One of the things they're going to do is grieve together. They're going to talk about dad. They're going to go to the cemetery on a regular basis. They're going to have conversations. At least I hope they will. But I, I am aware that there's a lot of us in the world that don't know how to grieve, and we just sort of turn it off and never talk about it again. And that's not helpful for you or for the kids. Mm -hmm. And so even if you do it well, you're grieving together. And then mom falls in love with this guy. She meets this guy. He's, in, he's great. He's nice. He's kind. You know, maybe he's a dad of his own. He seems to do well with his kids. And she begins to fall in love with this guy. And when she does that, she takes half a step toward him and away from her kids. This is a fundamental little dynamic that happens. It feels like they're now in competition, that mom is in the middle and she's stepping toward this new man, even as she's sort of saying, ooh, kids, sorry, I can't be here for you like I was. And the kids are feeling that, like they've already had dad leave them, if you will, by dad. Now they're feeling mom's departure toward her new love. It's not that anybody's doing anything wrong. But this is a dynamic that just is it, it's built into how, how the system works. Mm -hmm. So the more mom moves toward him, the less she also talks with her kids about that and the less she grieves with him, which sort of leaves an eight-year-old and a 10-year-old to figure out how to grieve dad ball by themselves. But now this new guy comes into the picture and he's like sort of trying to be my dad and I don't know what he's doing and I, he's not going to be my dad. I'm not going to let him. <laughs> remove my dad. You can see how a child's heart, sort of that loyalty kicks mm -hmm. into their father who is deceased, but they still only have one place. I tell people, you have one place in your heart for your dad. Mm -hmm. And your biological dad is the one that's in there. Whether you're adopted, whether you're a stepchild, whether it, no, you have a foster parent, whatever it is, you have grandparents, they're all, they all have different places in your heart, but there's one really big place for dad and for mom. And nobody, nobody moves into those spots. Mm -hmm. So they may like their stepdad, but he's not their dad. And that sort of makes them feel like, wow, am I being disloyal to my dad? So now the child has two emotions. They have, there's a little joy, there's some good, there's some sweet in this new relationship with their stepdad, but there's also some bitter that comes along with it because they're, they're kind of divided. They're, mm -hmm. they're feeling a little guilty about it. And they're missing mom. So there's grief wrapped up into that because mom seems to be less available to us because she has a new love in her life. And oh, by the way, if her new love has children of his own, stepdad has kids. Now my mom is spending time with his kids, not with me. So there's more loss and there's some jealousy perhaps wrapped up into that. And all of this makes a child ask again, what's my identity and what's my worth? Remember earlier we said how important that is? Well, already I feel like life's been hard and now I feel like I've sort of been forgotten. Mm-hmm. What do I do with that pain as a 10-year-old or an 8-year-old or a 16-year-old? Or, by the way, a 30-year-old mm -hmm. will feel the same thing if, a, if their parent who is 70 is getting married again. And so those are the kinds of hard questions kids end up finding, asking themselves. Mm -hmm. And all of that confusion sometimes, not always, but sometimes comes out as, well, step-parents think it's rejection. You don't want anything to do with me. You don't want to spend time with me. I'm nice to you, but you're just kind of yucky to me. And mm -hmm. step parents go, they rejected me. They don't want anything to do. And now, I, actually, it's probably more like confusion. Like, I sort of like you, but that's my problem. I don't know what to do with you. Mm 
-hmm. I don't know how to move towards you and not feel guilty about dad not being here. That's mm -hmm. the kind of stuff they have to navigate in order to move towards you and love you and open themselves up to you. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it, lots of questions that kids have to maneuver. Yeah. Now, as, as someone who's going through that process of my parents getting remarried and going through that process myself, um, I'm always wondering this question as to when the best time is for me to be introduced to the new partner or for me to be meet the new partner and what sort of conversation do my parents have to have with their partners before I meet them? I wrote a book called Preparing to Blend. That's for couples that are engaged and planning to get married. Before that, I wrote a book called Dating and the Single Parent. Mm -hmm. all about that process when someone dates a single parent or a single parent is dating somebody else and in that book i talk about the importance of asking what if questions so the answer to your question dina is i don't really know the question you asked was when is it best to introduce your child to your new dating partner and the answer mm -hmm. is i don't know there's really so many filters that we help people think through in that book dating and the single parent but let me just give you a couple of them for example Okay. One filter is how old is your child, right? You know, what's the developmental level of your of your child? If your child is two, mm -hmm. well, those kids just sort of open themselves up to new people very quickly. You actually need to be super careful if your child's under the age of five. You introduce your child to a new person too soon, and your child can fall in love with them more than you do. You mm -hmm. might just be dating just to sort of figure it out and get to know them, but your two-year-old's fallen in love with that person. And they sort of want them to come around again. And then you stop dating that person. And now your child has gone through another loss and you didn't realize that. Mm -hmm. So you got to be super careful with young, young kids. Let's say older than five. Um, again, are they a pretty mature nine-year-old or are they just clueless? <laughs> are, are they open to life? Or do they have pretty happy relationships or are they hurting in a lot of ways? Mm -hmm. Is there uh, some maturity to their heart and their life? It, it really depends on developmentally your child. Another factor would be, what are your intentions? I tell parents, don't don't introduce your kid to your to this person unless your intentions are pretty strong that you think there's a real possibility of this relationship going somewhere. Mm -hmm. um, if you're just flippantly moving from one dating partner to the next to the next to the next, don't introduce your kids. That mm -hmm. will be confusion. That will send a message that um, teaches them some unhealthy things about relationships. Yeah, no, not a good idea. But let's say all things being considered. You've dated a little bit. You've really liked this person. You feel like the what if questions go like this. What if mom started dating again? How would you feel about that? You mm -hmm. can ask that even before you date the first time. And start a dialogue with your children. Here's the point. You want to listen. You want to hear. You want to give your kids a chance to speak into what they experience when you go out on a date. You're, you're doing a little testing of the waters. You're also letting them know that might happen, by the way. You're kind of informing them of what's coming. Mm -hmm. And then you say, all right, so what if I went out with this guy? How would you feel about that? Okay, we went out. It was good. I, I'm thinking about going out again. How would you feel about that? Now, you're not asking your kids permission. This is That is not what you're doing here. What you're doing is you're including them in your life, not to, to be a decision maker about your dating, but you're listening, you're hearing, you're tuning in. And if you begin to get a sense that, boy, there's a real hardness in my child's heart, they're just going to be angry if I go out with anybody. Mm -hmm. You need to know that. 
because that tells you something that your child is still grieving, that your child is hurting over something, and it is not opening the door for new relationships. It doesn't mean you have to stop dating, but you ought to at least pay attention to that. Otherwise, you're just going to find yourself in a peck of trouble at mm -hmm. some point if you fall in love with somebody. Your kid's going to be an antagonist to that relationship, and you don't want that for anybody. Mm -hmm. So you do have to listen, even as you are moving forward and making new relationships. If children are older, I, I, I think we hear, by the way, in the work that we do, we hear from a lot of adult children, and we hear from a lot of later life couples. And the story go like, from the adult children, it goes like this, oh my word, my dad just met this woman, and he's talking marriage, and he's spending money on her, and we have no idea who she is. My dad's lost his mind. Mom's not even been gone dead for two years and he's fallen in love with again. You got to help me stop my dad from doing something stupid. Mm -hmm. That's the story we get from adult children. Here's the story we get from later life couples. They say, yeah, my, I thought my kids would be fine. They're 30 and they've got a life and a career and kids of their own. And you know, what do they care if I get married again? Oh, they care. Let mm -hmm. me tell you, they care a lot because this is their family that, they're, that you're talking about. They want stability. They don't want more change. And you're creating more unwanted change in their life. Everybody has a has a, a stake in this new relationship. So the sooner you start engaging your children in dialogue about what might be, mm -hmm. the sooner you get a sense of how it's going to roll and the better informed they are about the kind of decisions that you're planning to make. It's a give and take. You take it as it comes. You listen and you learn, you make decisions as you go, but you have to include the kids. Mm -hmm. So it's important for the children to sort of like the new partner that's coming around or to at least respect the partner that's coming. I mean, think of it this way. If you're gonna, if you're gonna go into business with somebody and uh, your spouse is ab absolutely hates the person you're going into business with, never wants to be around them, doesn't trust them any farther than they could throw them, is unwilling to part with money or time or, you know, to go in business, whatever. You have this constant thorn in your shoe that's making it really hard to make any progress at all and to feel some peace within it. So mm -hmm. yes, the kid's opinion and their journey with the step-parent and potentially step-siblings, that's all part of the big picture. And that's why, you know, we're now we're back to expectations. I just thought I was falling in love with a person. No, you're not. You're marrying this package and you're bringing your children and everybody has to fit together. Dina, this is the way I say it. Coupleness is mm -hmm. what mo brings most people together. That's why most people get married. But familyness is what you're really after. Uh, couples marry because they've fallen in love with a person, but blended families divorce because they don't know how to be a family. So the family mm -hmm. stuff really, really matters. And what are some of the strategies that you've found that families can employ to create a more cohesive unit while navigating the challenges of remarriage? Well, one of the things we'd give them is a metaphor that I've used now for over 30 years that really mm -hmm. connects with people. And when you really get it, then you can begin to kind of use the layers as um, a strategy for bringing your family together. So. It goes like this. How do you cook a step family? <laughs> it's a funny little way of thinking about it, but most people actually, Dina, have a strategy in mind when they get married. And their strategy is blender. 
mm-hmm. do you do when you put things in a blender? You throw in a bunch of food items and ingredients and you're going to make a smoothie, right? So you just hit blend and in 30 seconds, everything has become one fluid mixture that is entirely cohesive. Everything is just joined together. That's sort of the fantasy that blended families have. We're all going to love each other. Everybody's going to feel like family. Nobody's going to feel like an outsider. Everybody's going to feel comfortable and safe with one another. Well, yeah, that is the goal. That's good. But you can't force it like you do in a blender. Blenders have blades. Somebody's going to get cut. Mm-hmm. Some child is, you know, when a mom says, hey, honey, I know he's not your dad. He's my husband. But why don't you call him dad anyway? That's a blender okay. move. That is a blender strategy. She has just got out the blade and what she didn't realize she was doing, but what she's saying to this child is I've just sliced up your biological dad. He no longer exists in your heart or in your mind. And I've replaced him with this new guy who is my husband and you're supposed to be okay with that. Mm -hmm. That child is not going to be okay with that. So she's just made life harder for her and her child and her family not easier. Blenders are not a good way to cook a step family. The best way is without pressure, without high heat, and without friction or blades. And that is what we call a crock pot. Now, different places around the world, they call them slow cookers and things like, but I think most people understand what that is. You put all the ingredients in, you turn it on low, you put a lid on, and you walk away, you go to work for eight hours, and you come home and you have dinner. It's an amazing process. But what's happened in that eight hours? Well, there's been a low level heat, very low, not high, not blender high, not friction high, not microwave high, not pressure cooker high, a very low level heat that has begun to warm up the ingredients, soften their outer texture, their outer shell. And then the ingredients begin to share of of themselves all by themselves. You don't have to force it. You don't have to stir it. You don't have to mix it. It just sort of happens. This is the way step families cook well. The average step family, Dina, takes five to seven years to figure out their familyness. Mm-hmm. Five to seven years. That is not five to seven months. That is not five to seven days. You don't come back from your honeymoon and everything is okay. It takes years, just like it takes seven, eight hours to cook something in a crock pot. It's going to take a while for the ingredients in your life to warm up, to soften, and to begin to share of themselves Mm -hmm. with other ingredients. So there's the mentality. We're going to do this over the long haul. We've got to be patient with the ingredients. We can't yell at the potato or the carrots or the beef or the celery or that we're going to make a stew here, right? We can't yell at the carrot because it's not cooking fast enough. That doesn't help carrots cook. If matter of fact, that makes carrots want to get out of the pot. They don't even want to be there. Well, now they're not cooking at all, right? So yelling and forcing does not work. It backfires. What does help is a little low-level heat over a long period of time. Mm -hmm. For example, a step-parent. High heat strategy. Hey, buddy, I'm your new best friend. Why don't you, let's go out and uh, play baseball for five hours. And by the end of that time, you'll think I'm the greatest guy in, in the world. That is a super high expectation step parent who is going to create more trouble and less connection. Mm -hmm. A low level heat for that step parent goes like this. Hey, tell me what's something you'd like to do. What's your, what are you interested in? And now this child goes, I don't know, play video games. 
and, and the step parent says, could I play? Could you teach me? I don't really know how to do that very well. I'd love to find out. Mm -hmm. Well, sure. Yeah, let me show you how to do this. And you, in other words, you find something the kid enjoys and you try to meet them there rather than forcing your interest or your expectations on the child. You meet them where they are. And if that child says, yeah, no, I don't want to play video games with you. You say, okay, fair enough. And you try again a few weeks later. You try again and you try again. You wait until the child says yes. And then you naturally begin to start begin to develop a friendship, if you will. And that friendship, we hope, over time is going to mature. As the crock pot keeps cooking, so will that relationship. And it'll progress and it'll grow. But today, you're not going to have a father-son relationship. Mm -hmm. That comes maybe with time. It all depends on the child. And you might have enough time. Well, what if you marry this, this, this child is 19 and he's headed off to college or he's halfway you know, into his sophomore year? How much time do you get to play video games? Not much. Guess what? Mm -hmm. You're going to have a very, very slow cook. And so the certain ingredients, the personalities, the time together, the age of the child, all of those things are factors that will, that will uh, play a role in how long it takes to cook those various relationships. But the overall picture of slow and low mm -hmm. is what ultimately gets you there. Mm-hmm. Well, that's such an amazing way. I love the slow cooker versus um, putting in the microwave. I love the level that you're sort of getting at where it's it's not so much, um, it's, it's a slow process. It's an ongoing process. It's something that you have to take time and commitment in. And I love that rather than just something that's sort of forced onto a child and it's something that has to be earned rather than just put into place. So I love, I love the difference. Dina, I would love for you to maybe just reflect on your own experience and whether yeah. there ever been times where you kind of felt pushed or rushed or, you know, and how did that feel? Or what's, what's been some things that have been, hey, that is a, a crock pot strategy. And that was helpful for me in mm -hmm. my parent marrying again or thinking about marrying again. Um, I think for me personally, there's been a lot of force on it to sort of accept the fact that they're both going their separate ways. They're both sort of dating other people. And um, I think I found out pretty much right when um, I found out a year after they already split between the two of them and they were already dating other people. And I found out a year after that. So there was that confusion where it's like, okay, I really just have to accept the fact that they have split not only that, but the fact that they're already dating, they already have other people in their life. So when my sister and I found out there's that whole lot of, okay, there's a lot of changes happening all at once. And we are not, even as a, an adult finding out, there's a lot of stuff where it's just like, I'm not mentally prepared for dealing with a lot of it. So a lot of it was forced upon. I understood the fact that they needed time to progress and they needed time to sort of accept it themselves. But it was that fear of, okay, me not understanding it, the fact that one, they split up, two, they already accepted at the both of them and they already have other people in their lives. So bang on and finding all that out on the same day was a lot of pressure as well, sort of understanding the fact that I have to find ways to navigate that on my own um, with them already accepting it, them already being at peace with it and me and my sister are still sort of trying to understand how it could happen very quickly.
So let me just reflect what I'm hearing for the listener and the viewer. You've put really good words on what we've been saying. I'm hearing confusion. I'm Mm -hmm. hearing grief. I'm hearing unwanted change that's brought about a lot of rubble, the massive earthquake, right? What, what's the reality? Now, what do I do? How does it, what does this mean for me? What does this mean for my family? All kinds of questions that don't have answers and pressure to embrace and receive new people that I don't know when I'm still trying to get grieve what, what has been lost. Like that's all very confusing stuff mm-hmm. and it's a lot. And of course, it's not easy to do any one of those things, let alone all of them. And so if that added pressure says, okay, and now let's be a new family and you be okay with this. It actually, for most people, may not be that way for you, but for most people, it's like, whoa, 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 I'm pulling away a little bit. I'm I'm not just going to jump in because you think I should. Mm-hmm. I love you, mom, but I don't necessarily feel comfortable. This is not a family for me. It may be a new marriage for you, but it's not necessarily a family for me. Mm-hmm. See, there's that thing. Coupleness does not necessarily equal familyness. And so we have to slow the process down, especially for kids. Mm-hmm. We have to take it as it comes. We have to try to connect in where you can and mm-hmm. let that become a seed that over time begins to grow and nurture, but it won't happen fast. More, more often than not, it doesn't happen fast. It happens really, really slow. So think about this for a second from a step-parent. Maybe as a step-parent listening right now or, uh, or a biological parent is listening and they're thinking about their spouse who is a step-parent to their kids. And they're thinking, oh, wow, that means you sort of have to live with a child who doesn't really welcome you when you walk into the kitchen in the morning. They're, they're just sort of like, okay, you're there, but they're not happy that you're there. Mm-hmm. that's got to be awkward for the step-parent. Well, yes, it is. And as a step-parent who says, I need the kitchen to get cleaned, can I ask my stepchildren to fix it? Well, when I ask them to clean it up, they just look at me like I have three eyes and like I have no authority in their life whatsoever. And so I feel like I'm powerless in my own. Yes, that is a very common experience that step-parents have. And then the biological parent comes in and says, well, just tell them to clean it up. You're the you're the parent around here. And, and the step-parent goes, yeah, but they don't, treat me the way they treat you. They respect you when you ask them to clean up the kitchen, but they look at me like I'm crazy and they don't want anything to do with me. And this, and the biological parent says, I don't understand it. I think you're missing it. My kids are fine. And, and, oh no, no, they're not fine. And it, they do treat the step parent differently. We call them an outsider. The step parent's an outsider. The biological parent's an insider. You have all sorts of privilege as an insider that step parents don't have. So this creates conflict around parenting. And sometimes you don't even just understand what your spouse is trying to say to you because their experience of your family is so different than your experience of the family. See, this is where the conflict hits Mm -hmm. for couples, parents and children. And everybody just feels like this is a hard thing to merge together. Mm -hmm. And, And honestly, it can be difficult. But with patience, we slow down, we lower our expectations. We don't stop hoping for good, better things, but we do lower our expectations like in a crock pot. It's just going to take more time than I thought. Mm-hmm. That sort of mentality shift, it can be really helpful to help people um, have less conflict and begin to, to move in gently rather than harshly. Mm-hmm. And I love, I love that as a final takeaway for today. And I love that as a final 
ending to our conversation where it's like it's everything takes time everything is a little step at a time everything is balancing or respecting both boundaries whether it's a step parent's boundary or the child's boundary and the limits that they both hold at the moment um if they could have one final piece what would a way a child and families to sort of manage ongoing and future challenges during this process Okay, so get smart about your step family. I've written nine books and seven or eight of them have the word smart in the title. And it's because we really know and, and have come to, to understand that the, the smarter you are about these dynamics, the better you understand them, the more wise you become in how you respond to them. When husband and wife, parent, step parent, both see this together, come alongside each other, understand those dynamics and what's dividing them, all of a sudden those things don't divide them anymore. And they're stronger together, they're more unified, and that's going to create a, 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 a climate where over time it's more likely for children to start to like and love a step-parent or their step-siblings. In other words, there's a lot of hope for blended families. And when it's good, let me tell you, blended families can be great. But when it's bad, it's really, really hard. And so navigating the space until you find your sense of familyness, that's what you want to do. The smarter you get, the better things go. So read, study, podcast, uh, books, video series, take in as much as you can that ups the odds of your success. Well, thank you so much, Ron, for joining me on the show today. And I love that final takeaway. Um, if there is a way that audience members would like to get in contact with you to either find out a little bit more about your podcast or ask questions that I know I definitely have missed, is there contact information that I'm able to give out? Yeah. So website, smartstepfamilies.com. Smartstepfamilies.com is probably the best single place. I'm connected to another uh, educational group called Family Life, and you can find me at either place, but smartstepfamilies.com is that place that connects you to everything I'm doing. We do virtual events. We do podcasts, lots of things that will reach around the world, no matter where you are. A video series that we have available for free. Uh, lots of information that people can tap into. Well, that's amazing. So thank you so much for joining me on the show today. It's actually amazing to talk about it and actually amazing to know that there are so many other families, step families going through the same situation I'm going through, understanding the different ways that I'm trying to navigate through it as well. Um, so yeah, I hope you guys learned so much and learned as much as I did about step families. Thank you so much for joining me on the show today. Um, please go in and see, definitely go and see some of Ron's um, website and go and check that out. Thank you guys so much for listening. I'll see you all in the next episode. You've been listening to All Together, the Family Science Insights Podcast, produced by the Family Science Labs, a division of LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. More episodes are available from 10 Life Management Perspectives and can be found by searching LMSL on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and other podcasting apps available on your devices. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider rating our show, sharing it, and subscribing to our channel as it helps other people find it so that we can grow and bring you more quality resources. More of our work can be found on our website at fa.lmsl.net where you can join our movement. I'm Dina Sargent. Thanks for tuning in.